Galatians chapter 1. Open up to Galatians chapter 1. We're going to have a lot of fun this morning because there's less people to talk about what I'll do. So that means I can get away with more stuff. All right. Just kidding. Galatians chapter 1. Well, as you're turning there, let me ask you a question. I'm going to give you two illustrations or analogies, if you will, to kind of help you understand what we're going to do over the next few uh, weeks, next few Sundays. So we're in Galatians. Uh, we've titled our sermon series, The Return of the Gospel. Um, as you know, and as I've told you over the past few weeks, the Galatian church was started by the Apostle Paul. They were given the pure gospel message. Paul leaves to start churches in other regions. False gospels come in and infiltrate. And where you have false gospels, you don't have real gospel. Where you have uh, bad doctrine infiltrating into the gospel message, you've now changed and tainted the gospel. So it's not just, it's not just well, we have a different version or a different form. You have no gospel at all. And so what has to happen is we have to return back to the gospel. Um, Every time I think of the return of the gospel, and I haven't seen these movies that often, so I think this is the gist of the story. There's uh, Star Wars Part Six, I believe, is the return of the Jedi. Um, I always think – thank you, Bill, my resident nerd. Uh, you, The return of the Jedi – I was hoping Ben would be here to tell me that, but, but Bill's there. You got my back. So return of the Jedi, what had happened was all the Jedis had been killed off, but just a few, and they, they returned in the last film. Spoiler alert, but – that's what the title implies. The gospel has gone out. It has died out. And so Paul comes back with the gospel. Paul has been uh, talking about his calling because his calling has come into question. You see, whenever time is involved in any type of message, maybe at first you hear it and you think, that's a good message. I heard it. I, I understood. It. I see so clearly now. But as time progresses, you begin to question and you question everything. Well, was that really true? And eventually you will question the messenger. And that's what happened. That has, that's what has happened with the Galatians. They're questioning the messenger, Paul. Paul, now they're saying, well, is he a real apostle? Did he really be, was he really called by Jesus? Did he just go and meet with the other apostles and maybe learn from them? And he's taken some weird form of the gospel and bring it to us. They've begun to question everything. Now, there's nothing wrong with questioning. I'm not calling you to blindly follow me or the teachings of this church. I am calling you to have faith in Jesus, and you can question everything else. They were questioning in the wrong way. They were questioning to find the holes so that they could support their version of the gospel, what they wanted from the gospel. Man's gospel is I get to be my own God, and that's what man wants. Whether it's, whether it's through – it could be any endeavor, man ultimately wants to be sovereign. And the problem arises when you meet a sovereign God. Only one can be sovereign. And so as Christians, we understand that Jesus is sovereign. We are not. So as a way of illustration, to wrap this all up, have you ever tried to put something together based on instructions? Okay, so Ikea is notorious for – giving you instructions to something to put together, whether it be a bookshelf or a dresser or something. And something doesn't add up. First of all, it's mostly in Swedish. That's usually a bit of a stumbling block. Um, but even if you get to the English uh, instructions, it's very difficult. There are very few things that I will endeavor to put together without the instructions. If it's big enough or large enough, I will consult the instructions. The best the best type of instructions give me pictures. Amen. Pictures so that I can measure and gauge where I should be. If I have a bunch of shapes that look like L's and I need a bunch of sevens, that's a joke, by the way, because it's the same shape. It's, you'll get it later on the ride home when you're going to lunch. You're like, oh, L's and sevens are the same shape. But if you get a bunch of shapes that you're supposed to be facing one direction, but they're all facing another direction, you've got it all backwards, you realize – I got to go back. I got I to gotta strip some stuff down and rebuild again. And the best is when they actually give you a, a, a picture of the finished product. Sometimes it's on the outside of the box, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's in the instructions, and you can see what it's supposed to look like. So if you're putting together a cabinet or, a, or a, maybe a, 
a bookshelf with some doors, and in the picture, the doors are on the bottom, but you've got them on top, you've done something wrong. So the best kind of instructions have the end result and pictures along the way, so you know that you're going the right direction. Illustration number one. Illustration number two, has anybody here ever taken a road trip? Oh, I love road trips. I love them. I, I used to hate driving when I was younger. Had an 82 Honda Civic hatchback. It was beautiful, the most beautiful tan beige you've ever seen. It was at 250,000 miles on it. I drove it from California to Oklahoma and back. I, that was where I got stuck in my first snowstorm in Flagstaff, Arizona. Ended up hitting a chunk of ice, knocking the fuel filter off the car. But other than that, the car made it there and back without a hitch. It was beautiful, but I hated it. The road trip was so horrible. I was falling asleep, all this other business, up all hours of the night trying to get home. It was a medical emergency, so we were trying to get there as fast as we could, and it was just horrendous. Go a few years later. Uh, my father-in-law has a heart attack. So the first trip is back in 1999. Now we're looking at 2009-ish. Father-in-law has a heart attack. Many of you know him. Um, and we had no money, and we had no means to get here, but we wanted to be here. So I told Sarah, I'm like, let's just drive. We got a car. We got the gas money. Um, had some really awesome people give to us so we could go. And so we told our job, hey, we're leaving tomorrow. Uh, we worked as property managers, so we lived on site. We're like, sorry, we, we've got to go. And they were very gracious, and they said go. So we took off. We made it across the country in roughly 58 hours. We just drove like crazy. We stopped for about eight hours at a friend's house in Illinois, uh, slept for about six of those, excuse me, and then just took off again and got here so quick. I had so much fun on that trip. It was on that trip where, where I, I taught my wife a lot about football. She found out that she could keep me awake by getting me to talk about football. So I told her all kinds of stuff about football that I knew, all the stuff I, all the games I watched as a kid, all the stats I had gathered and accumulated in my head uh, from the time I was 10 years old till now. Um, at the time, the whole Brett Favre saga was going on where he was wants to retire, doesn't want to retire. Uh-oh, now he has to retire. Now he's on the Jets. Now he's on the Vikings, and all this business is happening. Um, revealed to my wife that you know a lot of what happens in football is like a soap opera. And so men and women kind of had the same taste, just some people hit each other and others, you know, have dramatic daytime television shows. Um, it was a great trip. Stopped at truck stops. That was a lot of fun. If you've never been to a truck stop, go to a truck stop. I found a crock pot that plugs into your cigarette lighter. Like what? I can make soup while I'm driving? This is great. Uh, find the greatest things, the best kinds of coffee. That's just straight truck stop coffee. Love it. You know what's really bad, though? As much as I love it, it's really bad when you get bad directions. So another road trip we went on, we were going to a concert in Toronto, Canada from here. And uh, this was back before everybody had a GPS in their phone and used something archaic called MapQuest. Anybody here ever use MapQuest? Uh, it's a misnomer because there's no map involved. <laughs> you are going on a quest, and I guess they're giving you a map. It's just not really detailed. So um, we followed this thing to a T. Now, I'd, I'd been across the Canadian border once to go to McDonald's. That was it. Um, the food pretty much tastes the same, whatever. Um, but I could say I'd been there. Well, this was our first foray into Canadian territory. Uh, going to the Vans Warp Tour. It was so much fun. We had just gone three days earlier, but we were young and foolish, so we thought, well, let's go again to Toronto. So we go to Toronto, and we followed these directions perfectly. We ended up in an open ditch, not in the open ditch, but in front of an open ditch with a fence in front of it that said dead end. And I thought, this can't be. <laughs> I assumed that the Vans Warp Tour would be a little more, you know, It'd be a lot more fun than this. Um, so, okay, let's backtrack. Uh, we, we obviously got something wrong because there's no way that this MapQuest deal has the directions wrong. So let's go back. Let's go, go to the last recognizable place. Found a moose and just started from there. We went and followed him again. Take a right, take a right. Take a left, take a left. Followed it. Same open ditch. Same dead end sign. We got to find a hotel because this is horrible. We find a hotel. Then we start asking the local people, hey, this is where we're trying to get to. Do you know how to get there? Oh, yeah, hey, it's over there. Um, so that's my bad Canadian accent. So um, 
Yeah, it was bad too. That was another bad experience. You know what really helps? Having a good map and knowing what the place looks like. Knowing the place you're going to. And that can be hard when you've never been to that place. But when you do the research and you look up pictures and you look up reviews and you, you find out what's local. And if you know somebody who lives there, you can begin to ask the right questions and make sure that your road trip goes from point A to point B without getting lost. Okay, so those are my two illustrations to help you understand what we're about to endeavor to do. Because over the next three weeks, we're going to see Paul give three examples of him meeting with uh, the local church and his calling. And you're going to start with point A. And if you don't realize where Paul is going, if you don't know what he is building, you're going to get lost. Now, it's not that difficult. It's really just knowing where Paul is going. It opens up the whole rest of the scriptures to you. Okay, Paul's telling this for a specific reason. Here's where he's trying to get to. I see the end of the map. Now I just have to follow the path. So starting in verse 11 of chapter 1, Paul says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. That's point A. That's the starting point. I'm not bringing you a message I made up. I'm not bringing you a message that man wants to hear. I'm bringing you the message that man has to hear. I'm bringing you the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm bringing it to you raw. I'm bringing it to you in its most basic, simple form. I'm not adding to it. I'm not taking from it. I am bringing you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's where I am starting. It's exactly how we started the church 15, 20 years earlier, but now it's been built up upon. He's got to scrape away all that bad teaching to get back to the pure, holy, sacred, wonderful, good news of Jesus. So that's our starting point. The end point comes in Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that the person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also, uh, excuse me, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Here's what has happened. Paul preached the gospel. By faith, you are saved. Other people have come in. Too simple, not fancy enough. You got to do stuff. You got to get circumcised. You got to be baptized. You got to do this. You got to do that. And then you will be saved. You have to worship on a specific day and then you will be saved. You have to worship in a specific style and then you will be saved. And Paul culminates with all that stuff does not justify you before God. Here's the problem, and we, and we dealt with this a lot in our, in our Romans sermon series, that justification by works is not a thing when it comes to Christ. Our justification, uh, the most simplest definition is just as if I never did those things. Justification before God comes only through faith in Jesus. Paul is going to combat everybody who has come in and said, yes, you must have faith in Jesus, but you must also be circumcised. He's going to say, no, those works of the law don't justify you. It's by faith in Jesus. To, to a Gentile group, not as much a big deal as it is to a Jewish group who had rituals and who had the Old Testament law and, and was holding to it for dear life. One of the things we miss in this Try to feel the weight of this or, or grasp the enormity of this. You have Paul. He said I, later on in one of his letters, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees, or I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Uh, just earlier in chapter one, I was exceeding the rest of my, my, my peers. I was, I was progressing faster in our, in our Pharisee training than any other Pharisee. Everything that he held dear Every rite and ritual that he purposefully went out and taught other people was the way to reach this, this ultimate God, this only God, this one true God. He's now discarded because he realizes that's not how it works. 
I'm not justified by those works. I'm justified by my faith. See, as sinners, we need to be justified. We need things to be made right. And our first inclination is to make things right ourselves. It's not a bad instinct. It's just not the right instinct. You know, when your child messes up, generally their first instinct is, let's make it better. If it's not covered up, it's like, well, how can I fix this? I broke the lamp. Can I glue it together? I, I broke this mirror. Can, can we fix it somehow? Can I pay? Get Dad, can I give you money to buy this again since I've broken it? It's not a, it's not a bad feeling. It's just not the right emotion. It's not the right uh, sentiment. What we find in the gospel is that we have broken something, but God has fixed it. We have been justified and made righteous, but it's not by our own works. It's by what Jesus has done. Because our justification and our righteousness is imperfect before God, but Jesus is, is perfect. His work on the cross is perfect, where our death as a sinner is not. So we need justification. So that's where Paul is leading. Here's, here's the gospel message that's not man's gospel message. It's ultimately going to lead to justification by faith. So there's our point A and there's our point B. So this week we're going to look at the first the first argument that Paul's going to make in this path, the first, the first point he's going to bring up. So we've entitled this sermon, if you want to move the slide, Dan, because uh, I didn't bring my clicky thing. We've entitled this, Our Sin, His Glory. Now, I don't want this to be a misleading title. I'm not proclaiming that we sin and then God gets glorified. That's not what I'm saying. I can just sin and I, God has given me a blank check to, to continuously be forgiven of the sinful things that I do, that I want to do, that I've never really changed, but you know, I just want to keep sinning. And I know at the end of the day, I can just give a blanket prayer. God forgives me of the whole thing and I can go sin the next day. That's not today's message. Paul is going to point out his sin and how God has used even that to be glorified. Our sin, keep this personal today, not their sin, not those people's sin, my sin, our sin. It's usually the last thing we want to talk about. It usually brings shame and guilt, unless we're an unrepentant sinner. If we've met Jesus, if we've met the risen Lord, we understand that our sin is, is a big deal. And it's the last thing we want to talk about. It's the last thing we want to point out to people. We want them to see us as successful. We want them to think that we have it together, that we have, we have indeed met Jesus. And even some people are motivated by somewhat good motives. I want to be seen as, as having it together so that they know Jesus helps me put it together. I find that Jesus is most glorified when we're just transparent to use a, an overused word, when we just show people, hey, I'm as flawed as anybody, but I have Jesus working through me and praise him. I'm less flawed today than I was yesterday. And those flaws that, that were so prevalent before are slowly being worked away by trials and tribulations. They're being worked away by the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, I, I'm I may still sin, but my, traje my trajectory is towards Jesus, and I repent, and I ask forgiveness, and, and each day I endeavor to be sinless. Now, I might still sin, but I'm moving towards Christ. My, my lifestyle is one of repentance, daily repentance, asking the Lord to forgive me of thoughts I shouldn't have and motives that I shouldn't have and, and actions that I shouldn't do. Paul is going to share his testimony. Paul's going to share who he was and who he now is. It's going to be his, his proof of apostleship and calling to the Galatians church. He's going to point out that I once went around murdering the church and now I am preaching the gospel. Do you see how drastic of a contrast this is? Do you see how life A and life B don't naturally come from one another? That's your proof that Jesus is working inside of me. The fruit that I have, the Holy Spirit indwelling in me, empowering me to go forth and live for Jesus is in, is in the proof, 
The proof is in what I am doing and what I used to do. Contrast those. A real dangerous area. If your life looks the same as it did before you met Jesus, something is wrong. Let that be a red flag this morning. If, if, if you're the same person you were before you met Jesus as you were after, ah, maybe you haven't met Jesus. You go through the Bible, the people that meet Jesus, their life goes from black to white, from, from, from night to day, from darkness to light. It, it's, it's as, they're as completely opposite as they can be because Jesus makes that kind of a difference in a person's life. Sometimes it's instantaneous. I don't want to dis- discourage you. There are times where it's instantaneous. You see Paul, he has this, this, this traveling experience on, on this road to a place called Damascus. And he gets blinded for three days, and it's in that moment where he gives his, his everything to Jesus. For some of us, it's, a much, it's, more, it's much longer than three days. It takes some time. But don't be discouraged. Set your, set your feet to walk the path of Jesus. Start there. Start there. Don't be discouraged that you haven't made it as far as somebody else. Your path is the path that God has called you to. So Galatians chapter 1, verse 15 says this. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, <clears throat> excuse me, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Verse 18 says, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that is Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. The last line sounds arrogant out of context. Well, they praise God because of me. I got the job done. Make sure you read that verse in its proper context. What Paul is saying is that they knew his former life and his current life, and they glorified or praised God because of what only God could do in a man like Paul. Paul literally was killing the church. He he was so zealous for Judaism that when this, this thing called the way, the book of Acts calls it, arose, he was so indignant and mad and angry, he sought permission to go and persecute the church. Not just the men of the church, but the men, the women, and the children. It culminates with the death of a man named Stephen. We call him the first Christian martyr, the first man to die for his faith in Jesus. Paul is on the outskirts approving of the men who have just stoned Stephen to death. It's shortly thereafter, Paul, with orders in hand to destroy the church, meets Jesus. And he goes from being a a Christian killer to not only a Christian, but a Christ professor or a Christ uh, proclaimer. Let me give you a a really good illustration to kind of help you bring this home. Because we lose the, 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 the emotion in this. Imagine we're in this church setting. Someone comes in and begins taking lives. And there's casualties and people die and are beaten and are in the hospital. But then they show up and say, you know what? I met Jesus and now I'm going to tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many people here today of the survivors would say that's a hard sell? How many of you would just right away, oh, okay, come on in. Tell us about Jesus. Preach to us this message, this gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're better than me. I would not just instantly accept somebody in that scenario. In a day before, you know, Facebook and Twitter and social media and email and that sort of thing, word of mouth travels much slower than, than, than the digital word of mouth. 
it took some time for Paul to go from Christian killer to, to one that could proclaim the gospel and be respected and revered as an apostle. You can see the uphill battle that he had. However, he had met the risen Christ, and this was the path that Jesus set before him. And he was endeavoring to please God before he pleased anybody else. What is a bit of a side note here, but I don't want us to lose sight of this. What is very specific to Paul is true for us in general. Here's what I mean. Paul says in verses 15 and 16, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. For Paul, his calling was going to lead to the salvation primarily, not not only or or, uh, exclusively, but primarily the Gentile group. Peter it's revealed later here in this book and in other uh, letters that he was called to the Jewish people, not exclusively, but primarily. You may not be called with that specific calling. However, what is specific, what is true specifically for Paul is true in general for us. If you are saved today, if you have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, if we sing the song, Jesus paid it all, and you're like, yes, he certainly did. I believe in faith and who Jesus is. Then you have been called to preach the gospel. That was part of the package that you get. If you've ever joined a club, if you've ever joined some type of thing, they give you a package, right? Literature and experience, uh, testimony type things, and a card, and maybe a shirt, it's part of the package. Part of the, the Christian package is you have been saved by the blood of Jesus. You have been forgiven. You have been saved from the pits of hell to the glorious uh, heaven that is being with Jesus forever. And you're going to preach that message. Every person in the church has a job. The first job, the primary job is preaching the gospel. Now, some of you might say, Pastor Tony, I don't think I'm very good at that. I'd say you're probably better than you think. You're, you're, you're trying to be humble, and you're not. Just preach the gospel. You don't have the kind of pedigree that Paul had, which included being a Christian killer, so you got that going for you. But they're going to see my flaws. Yes, and they have to see your flaws. This is why Paul is pointing this out. This is why Paul is not trying to hide the past. Because let's face it, in that day and age, today, if somebody does something, we know about it instantaneously. But in that day and age, Paul could have totally reinvented himself as another person and never mentioned the past, and few people would know about it. He could have gone outside of where he was known and just preached the gospel as some brand new person. The only person who would have known this is Paul, and Paul brings it up. He could have hidden it in a way that that we can only hope for today, but yet he brings it out into the open. If you're a Christian today, you've been called to preach the gospel. If you're not a Christian, God is calling you to save you to preach the gospel. It's, it's not as hard and as daunting as it sounds. It's a worthy uh, work. It's the only thing that will outlast you besides your children, but it will outlast them as well. It's the only endeavor that will outlast the life that you live. Now, let me ask you this. Is God glorified is God praised because of you? Now, I don't want to put unneeded burden on you. Oh, I have to be, I have to glorify God. And I better buy one of those shirts and I better put a bumper sticker on my car. And that's, that's not the point here today. Is God praised because of what has been done in your life? Are you the hero of the story or is Jesus the hero of your story? There's a difference. When you're the hero, you receive the praise. When God's the hero, he receives the praise. When you're the hero, sometimes the details of the past are left out. When God's glorified, it's when you kind of lay that out all out there. This is who I was. I was addicted to this. I had a problem with this. I used to do this to these types of people. I hated these types of people. I was abusive to my wife. I abused drugs and alcohol. I was just I was just a prideful, self-righteous person who didn't see a need for this Jesus. 
See, when you hide that, you become the hero. But when you let that be out in front, God becomes the hero. Jesus becomes the actual savior that he is. He is seen for the savior that he is. Is God glorified because of you in the way that Paul was? Paul shared his former life. Now, we don't romanticize the former life. Things were so nice then. Things were so much easier then. No, if you're like me, you, you remember the past and you cringe. Oh gosh, how could I have been so foolish? How could I have made that mistake more than once? Why did I do that? See, when I hide those things, Jesus is not glorified. It just looks like Tony's really good at changing his life. But when I share my former life, how I, how I was lazy in my faith, how, how I was self-sufficient, how Jesus was a thing but not the thing. See, I reveal to you that I'm not perfect and I need Jesus just like everybody. And my sins, while they may not fall into the degree or categories that man have for them, in the eyes of God, sin is sin. And I need forgiveness as well. Now, there's a misconception that you've got to get everything right in order for God to move, for God to do something, that you've got to get it right so that all, everything lines up and then God can move. The planet's got to align. It's got to be the right time of day, and then God can do something. And if, you, you know, if you're a failure of some sort, if you're not successful, well, then God just waits until the day that you are to do something. That is false. That is wrong. That is demonic. That is something that has been used to hinder Christians for millennia. Church, God is not limited by your sin, nor is he liberated by your success. It's not as though your success opens the jar in which God is trapped so that he can perform. God will do what he needs to do in spite of your failures or in spite of your success. Now, I think if we're going to go one direction or the other, let's head for success. Let's not just be holy failures. Let's just let's be failures at succeeding. Let's, let's endeavor to be successful. Let's do our best whenever we can. But should we fail in whatever we do, we have not limited God. The Bible is filled with men who failed God really badly. And yet God still moved and did stuff. God still saved his people. God still sent armies fleeing. And it left the person who failed in a place of repentance, but it didn't stop God. It didn't stop him from moving. He's not liberated by your success, nor is he limited by your sin. If, if, if Jesus was limited by our sin, Paul would never have been an apostle because he's committed some pretty grave sins. But God changes him on that road to Damascus, transforms him from, from sinner to saint. Before, and, and Paul says, he called me before I was even born to preach the gospel. Paul could see everything lining up so that even before he was born, God had did things to make sure that Paul was going to one day be this great apostle, evangelist, preacher, pastor, and teacher. Going back to Jesus changing you, are you the same? Focus on that today, or maybe not focus on it, but let that be a, the question of the day. Have I changed since I met Jesus? What is different? Am I the same? Am I the same in this area? You know, I still think this, that I shouldn't or should. How different am I? A good indicator of, of your relationship with Jesus is how much you've changed, not how religious you are. Because some folks go from, oh, I better start going to church again. I better, I better do this again. I better carry my Bible. And they do religious things thinking that that has changed them, and it hasn't. It's made them more self-righteous. If you have given your life to Jesus, there will be an authentic change that will be seen in others. It won't be subtle. It'll be drastic. Some things might be subtle, but people will see you and meet you and be like, I knew you then. I know you now. Something's different. You're not the same person anymore. 
It's not that you just have more gray hair or whatever, or less hair or whatever. There's really something different about you. You were here, you left, you came back, you're different. What happened? Jesus happened. Jesus happened. That's my only explanation. Glorified, that, that's a, you know, you hear people shouting glory and, you know, what does that, what does that mean? In this sense here, it means to praise God. We are either going to cause people to be praiseful towards God. We're going to be bad examples and make people distant from God. Or we're going to be apathetic and make people apathetic towards God. We want to be in the group that causes people to praise Jesus. Not us, not a pastor teacher, not a book, but Jesus. He's all that matters. The rest of us, one day we go to be with Jesus. That's great. I think that's an awesome deal. We totally make out like bandits in this deal where we are forgiven of our sins because of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, he's all that matters. Paul is not ashamed to share his past. Are you ashamed to share your past? I, I w- I'm not here, not here to parade everybody around to share everything that they've done and that sort of thing. That's not what we're talking about. But when it comes time to share, what do you feel? Do you feel shame? Now, I, I, I bet you do, because that's what I feel too. It's the last thing I want to talk about. The last thing I want to talk about is the sin that really only I know about. The things in the past that God has forgiven me. You can't turn it into a t-shirt. You can't just be like, about it. but there will be a time where you have to share it. And it will be the most powerful part of your testimony. And the same way Paul shares his former life with the Galatian church, he says, look, this is how I was. I, I didn't get this gospel message from the apostles. I didn't get this gospel message from the group of higher-ups in Jerusalem. I hadn't even met them yet. I met Peter and James, Jesus' brother, and that was it. I had already begun preaching the gospel at that point. And the people praised God. How is Jesus glorified in you? By redeeming your past. Here's the good news. Or here's part of the good news. Romans 8 and 28 says that God uses all things for the glory of those who love him. That's paraphrasing. Let me give it to you exactly how it's said. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That which we feel shameful about, guilty about, Even God can use that. God can even redeem that and use it. He can use that to share with other people so that other people will know that they're not beyond hope. That there is hope for them still. That that as much as they have screwed up, that you have screwed up too. And together, you guys, together we, we are all messed up, but we know a perfect God. See, ultimately, this infuses hope into our lives. We, we realize, oh, it's not all dependent on me. It's not all dependent on my performance and what I can do. And many of us will say it's about a relationship and not a religion and blah, blah, blah. And we're saved by faith. But we don't really believe it because we keep trying to perform to get it right so that one day God will love us. And that's anti-Jesus, anti-Bible. It's not the truth. It's not the gospel message. What is in your past that God can redeem? See, for myself, I've never been through a divorce. When folks come to me and say, hey, we're on the verge of getting a divorce. We actually are getting a divorce. I'm divorced. Now what do I do? Um, I do my best, but I don't have firsthand knowledge. I, was, I don't have firsthand experience. But there are those who do, and they have a great testimony. And some people would say, well, I don't want to talk about that. I feel like if I failed there. I feel like that was where I let God down. And God wants to redeem that and use that for other people. Maybe you started a business and it failed. And I'm not saying that's a sin, but I am saying that I know that the Satan will use that to bring shame upon you. 
And it was a time where you were tempted and tried to, to do things that maybe you shouldn't have. And God can use that for other people in that same boat. Maybe, maybe you've just been financially strapped for so long, it seems like you just can't get ahead. And you, you've done whatever it's taken to make ends meet. That in and of itself, not sinful. But there are folks who, who are in that same boat who need to realize that there is a hope that is found only in Jesus, and they will see that through you. They won't see the rich people and say, oh, I want Jesus so I can be rich. They need to see that whether they're poor or rich, they need Jesus. That the money is not necessarily the answer. Jesus is. What in your past can be redeemed for Jesus? Were you addicted to drugs? I bet you there are people who are addicted to drugs really trying to kick it through Jesus, and they need somebody who's been there, who's walked that path. And, and as, as much as it makes you vulnerable, they need to hear that testimony. Maybe you've lost a loved one, a child, a parent, a sister, a brother. You've, you've, they've died, and it's been so hurtful and painful, and you, you, you've locked that pain away, but it's that same scar that will show the world that that while you have been wounded, the scar reveals that you've been healed. And so we don't parade our scars, but we definitely don't hide them either. What from your past can God redeemed redeem rather for the future? It's in that that you might find your calling. You might. I want to be very careful with the words I use here. You might find your calling. Paul, for example, grew up a good Jewish boy. And when he got saved, he wanted to go to the Jewish people. You could say that that's what he maybe was called to do. He knows them. And he tries and tries and tries. It doesn't go so well. He finally realizes God's called me to the Gentiles. It's not a 100% across the board rule that, that what you went through in your past will definitely be your calling, but it doesn't mean that it won't either. If it was drugs, if it was alcohol, it was uh, having sex with anybody and everybody, if it was pornography, if it was this or that ism, whatever it was, it may not be in that arena in which you find your calling, but it might. And if you have... If you have in shame hidden that away, hoping that nobody would see it, you don't know which it is. You might say, Pastor Tony, I, I'm even afraid to go that direction. You're probably right. You probably shouldn't. Let that be a good indicator. But, but don't let the fear of condemnation and guilt and shame keep you from spreading the gospel in a way that only you can, in a way that only your lifestyle can portray. That's one of the great things, and I don't want to Americanize this too much because we're all told from an early age we can all be president, and that's not really true. We're all told that we can go to the moon, and that's not going to happen. But we're all told from an early age that we can be anything we want, and we can, and you know, in a sense, there's a truth there, and the reality is we can become what God wants us to be. That's, that's the truest truth, if you will. But I want you to understand that collectively we're, we are, we are being called together here, but individually as well. That means you have a personality. You have a character. You are a person. You have a soul. You are the type of person you are because God made you that way. And I wouldn't throw that away instantaneously. I, I would explore why you are the way that you are. Throw out the junk that shouldn't be there, but keep the essence of who you are. You know, I, I, I really like making jokes. I do. I like making people laugh. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot better than going around with a furrowed brow making everybody mad. I really prefer making people laugh. I carried that over into my ministry. And I know it doesn't seem like it because there's not a lot of laughs on a Sunday morning. But I tell you, I get home and I laugh hysterically because of the things that I said. And I'm just hoping Jesus is laughing too. <laughs> um. But humor is great. My son told me the best joke yesterday. It was awesome. So we have this back and forth that you would never understand unless you were a fly on the wall at our house. Um, 
I, I started doing this impersonation uh, of an actor uh, named Chris Farley. No longer with us. But I kind of can pull that off really easily. So I'm doing that, and he's like, Dad, that doesn't make any sense. I said, you don't make any sense. See, Ben gets it. He's like, Dad, your face doesn't make any sense. I was so proud. You do, see, none of you know what that even means, but for us, that's the ultimate joke that he won up to me. I was so proud that my son has this seed of humor that maybe it's not just, and maybe it's not funny for everybody, but man, it's funny for us. I laughed and I laughed and I laughed and I ran and told Sarah, you'll never guess what your son said. And I laughed. I couldn't even remember my, my Chris Farley thing anymore. I was so just proud and, and, and truly amused by what he said. I pray that he would carry that. I pray that nobody ever squashes that. I pray that nobody takes that away from him, that one day he would use that in the glorification of Jesus as well. Now, maybe you're not funny. Okay, that's okay, because we need the not funny people to do not funny stuff, right? <laughs> we, need them, we need them to balance checkbooks, and we need them to make sure taxes are paid, and we may need to make sure that our schedule is kept, and that sort of thing, while the rest of us are goofing off. Um, what I'm saying is, is, is once you come to know Jesus, there are things that will go, but there are things that will stay as well. And they will stay for the purpose of glorifying Jesus. Not you. I don't, going back to the humor aspect, I never plan jokes. If you've laughed here on a Sunday morning, I haven't stayed up for nights in a row saying, what would be funniest? I'll write this down. Oh, that'll be a funny joke. I did that once and it bombed horribly and it scarred me for life. I will never do that again. I remember telling that joke, it was one of my first Bible studies and like, even the crickets were silent. Like you couldn't hear nothing. And, and I was like, I'll never do that again. So I believe that my jokes are Holy Spirit inspired on a Sunday morning. We can contest that later. Uh, you can find biblical verses to com confound that or refute that. But uh, yeah, I'm going to stick with that. So what is the gospel message? Because see, Paul, Paul's already dealing with folks that think they have the gospel message. Notice that one of our greatest enemies is not from without, but it's from within. It's not as though people have come in and said, oh, you worship Jesus, you need to worship somebody else. No, they come in the name of Jesus. They come and say, you need Jesus and something else. They infiltrate in that way. They come with something trendy. They come with some fad. They come with some new book or some new perspective. Or they ask some weird question. And then the next thing you know, the gospel message is distorted. Here's the good news. The pure gospel message of your Bible that I pray you brought with you today, any wrong teaching held up to it will burn away like the impurities in metal. But the pure message will always stand. The pure message that Jesus is God, that he came from heaven, became a man, died for our sins after living a sinless life, was buried for three days, then was resurrected, took his life back up again that he ascended to the right hand of the Father and sent the Holy Spirit to empower his believers, that gospel message will stand up against any fad or trend or book or pastor or church or denomination that preaches anything otherwise. We don't have to be afraid. We simply have to know what the Word of God says. And I will tell you as much as I can, but this is your walk. And we'll walk it together, but that means you've got to read your Bible. You've got to be in prayer. You've got to be in community with us here on a Sunday morning. That's up to you. I can't, I can't make you do that. I can't come pick you all up on a Sunday morning. You guys got to get here yourselves. I pray that you would see the beauty of Jesus, that you would see the love of Jesus, and you would fight your way to get here. I know the fight it is on a Sunday morning. It's not easy to get here. The bed's extra soft. The blankets are extra warm. It's your only day off. I don't want to get up. But you know you gotta. And so you do. And praise God that you did. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. The good news starts with bad news that we've all 
sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's bad news. Because I can see this side of, of Jesus, this side of the fence, I can see how going to a person who thinks that they've got it all together because they perform a certain ritual or they, they show up on a certain day or something like that, I can see how telling them that is very alarming. What do you mean I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? I've done all these things. The Bible says we've all sinned, and that's bad. That's bad news. But here's the good news. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He has disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Jesus. Here's the gospel message. That sin that you have committed has been nailed to the cross. That the enemy of sin and Satan and the world has been put to open shame. You see, in this, in this verbiage, in this account, one thing that we miss. Yeah, all right. <laughs> all right, so what we miss is that in this day and in this age, when Rome would conquer an army, those they didn't kill, they would enslave. But first, they did something extra special. Because the Roman Empire was really good at shaming and destroying people. They would bring them in a parade. Now, if you've ever been to a parade, it's usually a joyous occasion. And I guess for the Roman people, it was a joyous occasion because their army won. But what they would do is they would take... The people, you know, the leader, the general, he'd stand up in front and they'd applaud him and yay. But then the slaves would come in. Naked. Beaten. Bruised. Just broken in every sense of the word. Broken in every sense of the word. They would be paraded and mocked and openly shamed. They wouldn't, they'd be chained up. They just, that was their new lot. Paul uses that imagery in regards to sin, Satan, and death. God has openly and publicly shamed that, which once had so much control over us. That's the gospel message. That's what we find in Jesus. That's the gospel message we take. That which once held us captive, we have been liberated from through Jesus and his sacrifice. Colossians 2 and 6, which just precedes what we just read. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Church, many of you have heard the gospel message. You heard it that day when you gave your life to Jesus. You heard an appeal, you heard a message, you heard something, and you gave your life to Jesus. And maybe from that point on, something's been built on top of it that shouldn't be there. Today's the day to scrap that, get back to the gospel message of Jesus, to grow in that. Let's stand. We're going to pray. I'm going ask to ask us to do something collectively. I, wa I want you to know, and I ask, I, I'm going to say this, asking that you would pray this with me during the week. I pray for the pews of this church. And what I mean by that is I pray that they are filled. And not just filled so we can tell people we had 100 people at church or whatever, we had to grow and all this other business like that. I could care less about that. But we really need people to know the real Jesus. Amen? 
So I pray on a Sunday, on a, on a Sunday morning, Saturday night, during the week, that these pews would be filled with people. I ask that you would do that as well. People who hear, need to hear the gospel. And then you pray for those people who will be here that they hear the gospel message. And so what I want to do today is do something collectively. I want us to say that prayer together. I want us to also, as I pray, we're going to go through a response. I can't make you do this. If this is not heartfelt, then it doesn't really mean anything, okay? So I want you to have a moment with you and Jesus, the Holy Spirit between you. I want you to not just pray, but speak to the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you and we thank you for the open testimony of Paul that many of us have come from really, really bad, sinful lives. We've done some things that we would never want to share. We've locked them away. We've hidden them away in the vaults of our heart and our memory. And, and, and we've come to the conclusion that we will never share those with anybody. But Lord, I thank you for men like Paul who openly shared their former life not to relive the shame, but to glorify your son, Jesus. And Lord, we don't know how you do that. We just know that you simply do. That you take something from our past and you redeem it and use it for your good and for our good and for the future good of people who will come to know Jesus. I thank you, Lord. Together we want to pray a prayer of surrender, Lord. We surrender to you. And we don't do this as ritual or, you know, a religious activity. But Lord, I pray that our hearts would be in a surrender place today. Where we throw up our hands and arms and we just, we give up, Lord. We've tried for too long and for too hard to do things our own way. And now we submit to your authority by, by giving up, Lord. By surrendering. Lord, I pray a prayer of repentance. I ask, Lord, that you would grant us repentance to walk away from that which we know we shouldn't be doing towards that which we know we should be. That we'd walk away from sin, Satan, and death walking towards your son, Jesus. That even as we fail, Lord, that even those failures would be used to glorify your son, Jesus. Lord, we repent. We repent for our nation. Lord, your Bible is filled with men who repented for their brethren, who repented for their people, repented for their cities. Father, we do just that. We ask for your forgiveness. We repent, Lord, and we pray that the, the, the kingdom being built in this area is beginning even here right now. Father, we worship you. We, we glorify you. We praise you that only you and only in the name of Jesus is salvation found. That there's no other name that exists with the power that is found in the name of Jesus. That he is your one and only begotten son, that he sits at your right hand, fully God, fully man, who has paid the price for my sin and our sin. And Lord, we pray, knowing that you love us, allowing you to love us. Lord, we get that you love us. We get that we should love others, but we so often come into this place of self-condemnation and self-guilt and self-shame and we tell others they can be loved without being loved ourselves. Lord, I pray in this moment right here and right now that we would know your love. Your word says in John 3.16, your son said that you so loved the world that you gave your son. I pray that that truth would be a, a welcomed heaviness, a welcome burden that, yes, we are loved that in spite of our failures and even in spite of our successes, that you love us. And lastly, Lord, we pray for this church. It's our desire that, that we get to a place where there's so many people, Lord, we don't even know what to do. And not for the sake of numbers and not for folks who just, you know, for all people. For all people to come in and hear the gospel message and give their life to you. That this city would change starting right here. For each seat in this place, Lord, I'm praying for some soul to be there. And we're praying for them, Lord, 
before we meet them, we are praying and asking that they'd give their lives to you. But I pray first that we would do that. As we are here, we are in the pews, that we give our lives to you. Jesus, you're the best. You really are the good that we pursue, the only good worth pursuing. And Jesus, I pray today that you've been glorified, that your word has been given simply and simply received. And I pray for this week to come, that this would be the best week for your people, that they'd see you in every detail. They'd see you in the big things and the little things at work and at home and in their children. They'd just see you working and moving and loving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.